Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Well, we have a fan on stage now, so I can look kind of dramatic, and I need to grow my hair long so it can be fluttering in the wind. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I will say, since uh, Justin led, led off with that, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm the director of the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take at least a couple seconds up here at the front for an absolutely shameless plug for the school. Um, I, uh, I've been uh, volunteering and on staff at the school for, uh, this is my 11th or 12th year, and I, um, I, I love the school so much because I've been in ministry my whole life. I grew up as a pastor's kid and a missionary kid. And when I went through school of ministry, I, I was, um, I was so shocked at the amount of transformation and change that I saw in the people around me. And after being in school for many years and after uh, teaching in school for many years, I realized that even though the, the program was amazing and I believe our program is amazing, the, the real power of transformation is that you get a bunch of people who want to set aside some time, sacrifice some money to pursue the things of God. And if you get a bunch of people in the room that are like that, it's, it, there's nothing else like it. And so I would just encourage everyone, we have a booth out there today, so if you want to talk to any people about what school looks like. The one last thing I will say is that part of the vision when we moved here was the, the school in Reading is a full-time school, and Steve can, you know, has an amazing testimony of sacrificing a lot by, by taking a break from his work, moving out there, and, and doing that. And part of the vision when we came back here was we wanted to create a school that people who were currently in their careers, who, who had a lot of life going on, could still be a part of because... You know, this, the School of Ministry isn't, isn't about becoming a minister. It's about bringing the glory of God to every area of life, wherever you are. And so we, we've designed our school to be something that uh, happens in the evenings, two nights a week, and is something that's accessible and possible for people who are in the middle of their careers. So shameless plug over, but school's awesome. Um, so a couple of uh, weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I did a little bit of a talk on spiritual warfare. How many of you remember that one at all? Awesome. Um, and uh, for those of you who haven't been around here, uh, uh, for those of you who have, you've heard this sentence a few thousand times, but um, uh, a big part of my testimony is ever since I was a little kid, I've uh, seen in the spirit. So I've seen angels, demons, and other spiritual things uh, with my eyes, not so very differently from the way that I'm seeing all of you. Uh, since I was little. And last time I shared, uh, like I said, about spiritual warfare and some of the common things I've seen over the last 30 years of what, what contributes to, to what kind of ways the enemy attacks people and also how we can make ourselves immune to those kinds of attacks. I don't know if you guys remember what I, uh, the, the gold nuggets that I gave you about how to, how to do that, which involved um, connecting with friends, having fun, and living a life of rest. Do you guys remember that at all? So there was one other thing that I really wanted to add that day, but I just didn't have enough time. And this is something, I, I wanted to talk about those things because those are things that we don't traditionally think of as things that are involved in spiritual warfare or spiritual strength. But there was one thing that I wanted to add that is something that we do traditionally think of as something that's important with regards to warfare and spiritual health and things like that. But it's something that I see us 
thinking about in a different sort of way. And so to, to express this, I want to share a quick story uh, with you guys. But before I do that, I do want to share one thing that I saw while we were uh, worshiping, if that's okay with you guys. Cool. Um, well, this is more during testimony time. This is just fun. I, I knew something special was going to happen because I knew we were sharing testimonies. But as each person came up and shared their testimony, I just saw as they were speaking, I saw their words coming out of their mouth and forming this picture. And it was like a two-dimensional picture, almost like a sketch of what had happened, of their, the moment that their miracle happened. And as they kind of finished the story, and especially as everyone cheered for them, I just saw this flash of light come from behind. And it hit that, that two-dimensional picture, and it split like it was a prism into dozens and then dozens again of streams of light that just shot out and ricocheted all through the room. And it, it really is true that when we engage with the testimony, when we, can, when we can celebrate the victories of others, when we can hear what God does, what kind of God he is, it makes room for more of who he is in our lives. And it just, it just multiplies those things. It's tangible in the room at that moment. So I, I, in fact, still see some of that light just ricocheting around the room right now. So if there's a testimony that you heard that you need, just as a quick prophetic act, just reach up and grab it like this. There's no, there's no magic in that. This is just an act of faith that we're, that we're doing to, to create an act of physical obedience to say we're receiving what you're doing, God. So that was fun. Um, so th this particular story happened uh, just a handful of years ago. I was in, I was in Germany um, in a town called Dresden. And Dresden is probably, I, I've, like I said, I was a missionary kid, so I've traveled to a lot of different cities. Dresden's probably in my top two for beauty as far as architecture goes. A beautiful, beautiful city. All these beautiful buildings all within walking distance of each other. And on one of the days, um, I was ministering at a church there, but on one of the days we just kind of took a tour and we walked around. And the uh, pastor there was pretty uh, knowledgeable about the history of the area. And anyone who is a World War II buff probably has heard Dresden uh, referred to. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, so during, during World War II, I'm going to give a very brief description of this. There, um, some, uh, the Germans attacked a small town in Britain that wasn't really of very much tactical value, um, but it was... Uh, a town that was well-liked and kind of a civilian town. So they attacked this town, bombed it, bombed the church there. And it was just, again, it wasn't really of tactical value. It was just kind of this mean thing that, that they did. I know it's kind of a small word for that, but there you go. Um, <laughs> the goal was meanness. Um, now, in, in retaliation, the, the allies, the British, and including some uh, Americans, went and uh, firebombed Dresden, which was not really of much tactical value at the time, but was a beautiful city and uh, a civilian center. And it was one of the first um, occurrences of using what eventually became uh, napalm. And so they firebombed the city and they didn't really know the physical properties that would go into dropping all this uh, fire on the city. It created what is called a firestorm. And it got so hot that some of these old stones that are four times the size of, of my head uh, vaporized and just became dust because they got so hot. And um, it was a really, really bad scene. A lot of people died. A lot of civilians died. And it was kind of this, hey, you did something bad to us. We're going to do something bad to you in return. Now, a beautiful part of the story is that they've rebuilt the city of Dresden brick by brick, sometimes using the original bricks that were left over. 
and it's rebuilt to look exactly as it did before. Amazing, you know, uh, process. But we got to this one church that was the um, the um, kind of main church. There's a there's a large Catholic church and there was a large Protestant church. This was the main Protestant church. Big, beautiful building. And the pastor was telling me that you know the the bell that had been in the church there, this big, beautiful building had melted and been destroyed during the, the firestorm. <clears throat> and as they were restoring the city, which wasn't really that long ago, um, when, it came, when they were finishing this, this big, beautiful church, some of the pilots who had dropped the bombs uh, on Dresden, a few of them, uh, some of the pilots, in fact, that were from the town that the Germans had destroyed, which initiated this kind of retaliation, donated the church bell from their church in that town to the church there in Dresden. And it was this big, beautiful ceremony. Um, now, as I was hearing this story, we, we walked up, before he even actually started the story, I'm walking around, and honestly, I'm, I'm, uh, when I look in the spirit, there's different layers of things going on. So at first, I went to this, uh, I was kind of looking at what was just kind of spiritually in the ground there, what the history was. And because of the intensity of what had happened there, I was kind of stopped looking in the spirit just because it's really, really intense. I won't go into the details, but if you can imagine a city full of civilians that is on fire on all sides, it's a really bad situation. Um, and so we got to this city and this central part of the city, we got to this church and I just started wondering what's going on in the spirit over this church. And I looked up and I, and over this church, I saw a huge principality, a huge demon that was trying to have governmental authority over that area, and a huge angel. Each were at least 50 feet tall, and they were fighting in the slowest slow motion you can possibly imagine, moving very, 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 very slowly. And as I looked, uh, my first thing that I thought was the angel looks under-equipped. He... I'll, just had like a simple like kind of cloth wrapped around his his waist. He had no shirt on, um, and no no armor of any kind, except he had this really large blue sword in his hand. And it was interesting because just because the the way the sword looked, it was very ornate. It almost uh, the, the thought occurred to me as soon as I saw it that it looked like it was part of like a matching set kind of thing. Like it looked like it went with something else. <coughs> but the angel wasn't, didn't have any extra adornment or armor. Um, and as I, as, right as I was thinking that the, uh, our tour guide, the pastor who was telling us about it, got to that part of the story where he talked about these pilots donating the bell from their church, from, the town, from their town that had been destroyed. And he said it was meant to be just an act of reconciliation and of forgiveness. And the second... I heard that, I saw a vision in my mind's eye of that angel fighting this principality hand to hand, pushing this. And I saw the ceremony when they donated the bell. And I saw the moment they donated the bell and I saw this sword appear in this angel's hand. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say, forgiveness is a weapon. Forgiveness is a weapon. And I went back and forth in my mind because part of me was like, oh, you know, that's just one of the things that happened during that war. That is, you know, it, that feels like such a small act in comparison to just the, the anger and the pain that was caused on, on both sides. Um, you know, how could that mean anything? But it was 
I was, on that scale, I was surprised how much that simple gesture actually meant. Does that make sense to everyone? I want to talk about forgiveness, and I want to talk about a, um, what I feel can be some misconceptions that we have around the idea of forgiveness. There's a lot of people here who are inner healing people, who are sozo people, who are counseling people, who could probably talk about forgiveness in, in, in a 36-layered, you know, beautiful tapestry sort of way. Um, I'm not one of those people, so I'm going to keep it real simple, and they'll, you know, correct me and fill in all the beautiful details afterwards. But <coughs> I, I will say, I, I, the reason I wanted to address forgiveness in my previous talk about spiritual warfare is that if there were one thing that I would point to that most consistently, most effectively undermines the attack of the enemy and, and, and the way we view the attack of the enemy on our life, it would probably be forgiveness. If there is one thing that can equip us, that can prepare us, that can align us with what God is doing, with how he thinks, with, with what he hopes for our life, I would probably say that it's forgiveness. And to that end, I want to I read a, a scripture about forgiveness, a parable about uh, forgiveness. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew 18. All right. The uh, winds of change are blowing my Bible shut, so I'm going to have to <laughs> hold this. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yep, I think that's working. Matthew 18, um, we're going to go with verse... 21. I'm just going to read this whole parable to you. This is probably a familiar one, um, but uh, follow with me if you can. All right. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Sounds like he's trying to like highball it a little bit, you know. Seven times? I don't know. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. This, his fellow servant, fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant in. Uh, he said, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. (laughs) 
one of those feel-good, read-the-bedtime-story sto kind of parables. <laughs> Good night, kids. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself, when you're reading uh, the Bible, you come up to a spot, and you just kind of cringe your way past that one, and just read on to the next thing? <laughs> All the theologians are like, I would never do that. <laughs> I will never do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a theologian. I'm a lifelong student of the Bible, but I don't consider myself a theologian. And so I, I don't look at these things from a, from a theologian's perspective, although I really enjoy looking at them from those perspectives. I, I look at it from mine. Um, Do you know what the enemy tries to do more than absolutely anything else? I would say the number one thing that the enemy tries to do is to try to get us to see God incorrectly. How many of you, if we're being honest here, hear that scripture, hear that parable that Jesus told, this isn't like an Old Testament, like, you know, Moses wasn't sitting around saying this parable. This was Jesus who brought this parable. How many of you, when you hear that parable, that makes you feel a little bit scared, if we're being honest? <laughs> Only three people raised their hand over their head. Everyone else was just down here. It's <laughs> good. You're pantomiming your fear with your action. That's great. Um, Well, of course, you know, what Jesus was trying to do was to release a spirit of fear on people so that they would forgive, right? But wait, there's this other scripture that says God has not given me a spirit of fear. So does that mean if this scares me, if this brings fear that I, I might be viewing this scripture incorrectly. It's something that I think about. Um, this is, this, again, I'm not a theologian, but this is some of the way that I think. Um, you know, all those scriptures about denying the flesh, you know, take up your cross, die to yourself, those, those kinds of phrases. So I, I ha I've always heard those taught as like... Um, uh, you know, gi give up your desires or, or you want these things that are not good for you. You know, th that, that kind of thing. You know, g give up that kind of stuff. Um, did you know that we are, in, in our very DNA, is fear? That we are designed to be afraid of things that might hurt us. It's actually a survival mechanism. It's, oh no, that looks like a snake. That's why if you see a hose that kind of is laying a certain way and you have that little, Ugh, you know, it's like, oh, it's a hose. But I was scared for a second because it might have been a snake. It's because we're hardwired to see threats in our environment so that we can avoid them. It's a good thing, you know. Oh no, that looks like a nail. I'm not going to step on that. You know, oh no, that looks like a snake. I'm not going to step on that. Um, Oh, no, that looks like a bear. I'm going to go this way. You know, simple things like that. 
Oh no, that looks like an unsafe driver. I'm going to avoid them. I'm going to go more slowly. We are hardwired to look for threats in our environment. I think that part of denying our, our flesh is not letting our basic instincts run our lives. Because those same instincts can cause us to be mistrustful of people that we don't know, mistrustful of people who looked or act differently than we do, and it can also cause us to look for danger signs in God. Are you tracking with me? If we are letting a spirit of fear be the filter through which we see God, oh no, I don't want to get in trouble. Oh no, I don't want to get punished. It, it causes us to miss, I think, what God is saying. So in this parable, this, this guy got um, forgiven a 10,000 uh, talent debt. Now if, I, if my memory is correct, one talent was about a day's worth of work, money-wise. So 10,000 days worth of work, 10,000 days worth of income. That is a large amount of income. That is many years of income. That would have taken forever to pay back because you still have to eat and live and all those sort of things in the meantime. And the, I, again, I don't remember the exact denominations, but his, the, the other servants thing was way less than that. It was chump change. It was, it was a few bucks that this other person owed him. If our mind goes straight to, oh no, God is going to punish me if I don't forgive, then we are likely to forgive for the wrong reason, which was the exact thing that he was speaking against in this parable. How do I know that? Because Peter starts by asking a legalistic question. How, what is the number of times that is appropriate to forgive someone, Lord? How about seven? That's a good number. That's a Jesus number, seven. Number of completion. My forgiveness to you is complete. <laughs> It is over now. It is, <laughs> I saw that it was good, and now I'm mad at you. Um, I don't want any of us to have a spirit of fear miss out on the reality that God has forgiven a lifetime of debt for every single one of us. The point is not that there is a punishment for not forgiving. The point is that that level of forgiveness should transform the way that you think. The, the peak of the story is that, a ten, is that a lifetime of debt was forgiven. The point of the story is that a lifetime of debt forgiven should change the way you think, should change the way you act. It is giving us access to love that we are, would be incapable of doing on our own. It would deny our basic instincts of, you owe me something, I want to get that back. <laughs> you can't do that unless you are transformed by a love that is impossible. If, even in a culture like ours that most, most of us would probably consider to be very free, I, I see so many people who have the, well, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. And it gets easy to blame the, the people that we perceive as saying you're supposed to when really this is a choice that we make in our heart. 
I had this person uh, who I was ministering to who um, was just riddled with sickness, riddled with sickness. You know, you, you, what do you need prayer for? And it's a 15-minute conversation until you get to the thing. Just riddled with all kinds of sicknesses, fibromyalgia, uh, t- three different kinds of cancer, just all these sicknesses, so many, so many sicknesses. And... I asked the Holy Spirit what to, what to do as I was praying for this person, and he said, talk to them about forgiveness. And I said, you know, hey, is there anyone that you need to forgive? And before I even, you know, get the eve out of my mouth, they're saying, oh, I've forgiven everyone. I forgive them right away. I forgive them before they even do it. <laughs> Preemptive forgiveness. <laughs> to all those dangerous people out there. <laughs> and I said, okay, but like, have you, you know, forgiven them? I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. I don't hold on to anything. And I looked in the spirit and I saw chains wrapped around this person's head. And they were wrapped so tight that they were squeezing this person's head. And on every little link of the chain was chiseled a, a scratchy, set of two words over and over and over and over again. You forgive, you forgive, you forgive, you forgive, you forgive. And as I started praying, I saw this cloud come around the person And the cloud started raining blood, which sounds freaky at first, until I realized that it was Jesus' blood. And it was raining on this person, but it was, this chain was squeezing this person's head so tight that it was like a sponge that was being squeezed, that it couldn't absorb any of what was being released on it. The inner healing people might have more details but forgiveness isn't something that you clench your teeth and you know you're supposed to do, so I forgive them. Forgiveness is a gift that can only come from God. Forgiveness is a gift that is impossible. It is not in our DNA to forgive and forget. We slot those things around in our very core to look for threats around us. No matter, even if we've uh, clenched our teeth and forgiven, we feel that, well, that person's not safe near us. The chains were this person's obligation to forgive. The knowledge that, oh, I have to forgive. And falling prey to the requirement to forgive sabotage the process of receiving a gift from God. Does that make sense? I'm going to say, say this, that forgiveness is supposed to be painful. Forgiveness is supposed to cost something. If it doesn't cost something, then either one of two things happened. Either you didn't really need to forgive him because it wasn't that big of a deal or we're just doing a blanket false forgiveness, I'm supposed to forgive, I'm supposed to do this. 
Forgiveness is painful. Forgiveness is you owe me something and I'm saying you don't anymore. <laughs> it's a perfect example right here. You owe me this, you owe me that, but why didn't you this? Why didn't you that? They probably should have. They probably shouldn't have, whatever the situation is. But forgiveness is you don't owe me anything anymore. You are set free from any obligation to fulfill this, to fulfill that, to do this, to do that, whatever it is. I, I, I've been betrayed before. I've been stolen from before. I've had people who I, who I thought were friends, who I probably still consider friends, talk badly about me behind my back. I've had lots of things to forgive. If we pretend like those are nothing, then we just cover up our wounds. We cover up our hurts, which is likely to get them effect, infected rather than submitting them to the care of Lord, the Lord. It actually creates bitterness. It creates pain. It creates hurt. If we, the reason that forgiveness is so important to God is it is the very foundation of our relationship with him. It is the only thing it is the only thing that allows for the kind of relationship that we talk about here, that we teach about here. If God did not forgive us, we would have no right to miracles. We would have no right to salvation. We would have no right to anything, to life. He gave us that. If God did not decide to forgive what we have chosen to do with the free gift that he's given us, there is no place for relationship. You know what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is that being able to be transformed by that forgiveness is fundamental to us receiving the inheritance of his kingdom, to receiving the manifestation of that kingdom, to, to receiving all the good things that are behind that. And I know what our brain does when I say that. It's like, oh, I'm not getting good things because I'm not forgiving. Ah, that's that animal brain again. That's that DNA. That's that stuff that's saying, oh, danger. No, what I'm saying is there's transformation available, that he, has, he is giving you the capacity to forgive, to love, to, to experience joy, to let things go, to forgive debts that you cannot forgive on your own, that you cannot in your heart forgive. And sometimes by forcing forgiveness, we actually deny our, our ability to receive that. Does, is this making sense to everyone? <coughs> Forgiveness makes room for love that is bigger and more beautiful than you could possibly know. Do you want to know who I have to forgive more than anyone? Myself, probably, but besides that, that's too boring. No, what person hurts me the most? Justin, no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I am going to name names, but which person? person hurts me the most, affects me the most, uh, is, is, does things that cause me hurt in my heart more often than anyone else. Actually, it's my kids. <laughs> I can deny how much they hurt me. I can be like, oh, you're just a little kid. It doesn't, 
It doesn't hurt me that I said, come here, and he ran the other way. That doesn't hurt at all. No, you're just a little kid. I'm just lying if I say that. It totally hurts my feelings. I love you more than anyone else in the world. I would die for you. I give you all of my money. And, I, and all I ask is that you come here and please put your shirt on. <laughs> and you run away <laughs> as if I said nothing. <laughs> as if I said nothing. <laughs> it's, it's little things, but it's hundreds of them. My kids hurt me more than anyone else. As they grow, their capacity to hurt me is only going to grow. I have five kids now. What was I thinking? There's so much. <laughs> My capacity for pain is exponential at this point. But I had to sit and think about that before I realized that that was true, that those were the people that hurt me the more than anyone else. Do you know why? Because whether it's because of the way that my parents were or because of the environment that I grew up in or because of how much I love these people. Forgiveness isn't something that I have to try to do. It is a gift that I have received for my children. And it is easy to let it flow again and again and again and again. And it's honestly pretty easy to recognize when I need to actually walk through a process of forgiveness towards my children. And that lifestyle of forgiveness over and over and over and over again has opened me up to a kind of love that I have not experienced with anyone else before. I believe that God is ready to do things on this earth that we have never seen before. I believe that there is, we've, we've heard these prophecies of a billion soul revival, of, of millions and millions and millions of people being saved, of God touching every corner of society. I believe that the only way that that can happen is if God's people are equipped to re represent his kingdom wherever they are, wherever they go. And I believe that the foundation of representing God's ki kingdom is, is having the forgiveness that's been given to us transform the way that we see the world. Transform the way that we see the world. And I don't want, I'm supposed to forgive, to steal the encounter of letting the Lord talk to us, walk us through the gift of forgiveness that he has for every single person, for every person who's popped into mind while I'm talking about this, for every person who has spoken against you, who has offended you, who, who has not extended forgiveness towards you, whatever it is, God does not want to just put, throw a blanket over those things and say, yep, it's just all forgiven. No, God chose the most costly thing to pay for the forgiveness that he showed towards us. He used a relationship that would be the most costly thing. Giving up one of my children is the most costly thing I can possibly think of. Submitting my children to pain is the most costly thing I could possibly think of. And he chose that as the model of the price that he would pay for forgiveness. Forgiveness is supposed to cost something because forgiveness transforms us. It makes, it burns out 
the, the things that are not of God and makes room for more of him, more of his love, more of his kindness, you will truly fall in love with your enemies. Not a blanket love, not a cheesy love, not a I love everyone. You will be like Daniel who was sorrowful when the man who had kidnapped him and, subju- and, and subjugated him and took him in as a slave in his house, Nebuchadnezzar, got a negative prophecy. When he translated a, a, a prophecy that was against Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I wish this was for your enemies. He had forgiven the man who had kidnapped his people and enslaved them. And he had fallen in love with a man who was not godly at all. You will truly be able to love your enemies. Love them, not a fake love, a real true, passionate love. You will truly be able to love your friends. You will truly be able to love your family. That is what forgiveness is. It's not I have to do this. It's not I'll do this or I'll get punished. It's what kind of gift is that? What kind of gift is that? That I can truly love my enemies. I don't have to force myself to love my enemies. I don't have to pityingly love my enemies. I don't have to get on a higher horse than my enemies so that I can look down on them and then I can feel good about showing love to them from up here. (laughs) I can love them. I don't think that we can change the world if we don't love the people in it. (laughs) I don't think that we can change the world if we're criticizing the people who lead it, the people who are creating art in it, the people who are creating culture in it. There's a difference between disagreement and acceptance and loving someone, even though they're different from you, even though you might disagree with them, even if they hate you. That is a love that can only come from God and can only be received as a gift from him. So I want to take a moment here to sit at the end. I, I know this is super vulnerable, but I think like most of you are going to stand up. If at any point here... or if at any point during this talk that someone came to mind, they're like, ah, I need to forgive this person. Thank you for being a good example. I just want you to stand up. There's more complicated stuff of like forgiving people groups, forgiving systems and, and things like that. We can, I'll let the inner healing, healing people do that. Um, <laughs> if there is someone who came to mind, and, and I know how it is, Like, it's not bad that we have this compulsion to forgive. It's not bad that we have this knowledge that forgiveness is important. But that can sabotage walking through the actual forgiveness. (coughs) Now, all I want you to do is I just want you to hold your hands out in front of you. (laughs) And I just want you to say... I forgive the people who are still sitting. No, just kidding. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, Lord, I ask for the gift of forgiveness. Just put that on your lips. I ask for the gift of forgiveness. I ask for the gift of forgiveness. Sometimes he just releases something and boom, it just goes away. It's like, oh, I can just forgive that debt. I can just walk up to that person and forgive that debt right now. And sometimes it doesn't, and that is okay. We recognize, Lord, I don't know how to forgive this. 
And you might be upset in your mind. You're like, ah, but logically, I can see how this is not that big of a deal. Logically, that was so long ago. Logically, doesn't matter. If you know in your heart that you can't forgive it, that is okay. That means he has to teach you. That means that he has to teach you. So, Lord, I just release forgiveness into the room. I release the heart that looked down on humanity, that looked at the course of history, that looked at every atrocity, every crime, every moment of pain, and said, they are worth forgiving. They are worth forgiving. I release that heart that can let go of debt. I release that heart that can let go of what is owed. I release that heart that can let go of the need for, for, for recompense, for, for, for restitution, for, for, for a fulfillment of, of debt. I release a heart that knows that it is the inheritor of the kingdom of God. <laughs> that God has what you need, that God has what you're looking for. Sometimes we get tricked into not forgiving because we have a poverty mentality. We think, well, I need to get what I'm owed. And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about they owe me an apology. (laughs) Don't worry. God is releasing identity so that you know that you are just as valuable whether you get that apology or not. That you know that you're just as important whether you get that apology or not. (laughs) If you're able to, if you're in the state where you're not able to, that's okay. Just keep inviting it. But if you can feel that feeling, you can feel that heart. It's like, I can forgive this debt right now. I just want you to put it on your lips. Again, if you're not there, do not force it. But if you're, if you're feeling that grace in the room right now, you can just put it on your lips. You can whisper it if you don't want the person next to you to hear. But just say, I, I forgive your debt. I forgive your debt. Now, I'm going to be honest, because we learn this is something that we have to do, I feel like there's like 30 people in my line when I was starting to walk through this myself, and so there might be more. That's okay. Just take steps with him. Take steps with him, and, but receive the grace to do it. Don't force yourself to do it. Receive the grace to do it. Let him talk you through what you feel like is owed. Let him talk you through what feels like too much. Just release the blood of Jesus into this room. The power to forgive impossible things. And I release to everyone as we forgive that we have that experience of love rushing in. Of true, unfiltered, uninhibited, unrestrained love. Unrestrained love. That there's nothing holding back our love. There's nothing that puts a little hitch in our, our heart when we hear that person's name. There's nothing that puts a little hitch in our heart when we, when we hear about that person or hear about this person. The last thing I pray is that there, if there is a process to this forgiveness, Lord, I just ask that you reveal it to them right now. If they need to have a conversation with this person, I just reveal that courage right now that they can actually walk in love to have that conversation. And when you have these conversations, I don't want you to do, use a grace grenade and say, hey, just so you know, I've forgiven you, and walk away. <laughs> if you're going to have a conversation, have a conversation. 
Because real forgiveness makes room for love that would be impossible otherwise. So let's release that love into this room right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All right, for this last one, I just want everyone to stand up if you're, if you're able. And if you would, just put your hands out in front of you. This is the last thing. Lord, we know that there will be things that are in our future that we will need to forgive. <laughs> there will be moments of betrayal. There will be moments of pain. There will be moments of hurt. Some that, we, that are just in our perception and some of them that are actually in other people's intent. Right now, we just receive the grace to become the greatest forgivers on this planet. To become people who can release forgiveness on a global scale who can actually walk in forgiveness, not be in a perpetual cycle of needing forgive and to re-forgive and to re-forgive and to re-forgive again, but that we can actually cancel a debt once and for all. Cancel a debt once and for all. And experience the love, the, the kindness, and the glory that can be released through those things, through that forgiveness, through those relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.